Guideline Implementation, A Safe Environment of Care, by Terry Link. Abstract. The OR can be a hazardous environment for both patients and personnel. Low lighting, fluid on the floor, combustible and noxious chemicals, multiple pieces of equipment with cords, the fast pace, and numerous distractions are only some of the factors that can lead to an accident or injury. The AORN, Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care, provides guidance to perioperative personnel on identifying hazards and implementing processes to mitigate risks in the perioperative setting. This article elaborates on key takeaways from the guideline, including precautions to reduce the risk of OR fires, occupational injuries associated with slips, trips, and falls, and handling, storage, and using hazardous chemicals. Perioperative RNs should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. The perioperative setting should support safe care of patients and a safe practice environment for the surgical team. Injuries to personnel can affect patient care because an injured worker cannot safely care for patients. To create a safe environment of care, it is important for perioperative personnel to take time to evaluate hazards and risks and then develop processes to prevent injury. When facility leaders conduct environmental rounds in a hospital setting, they may not always include the perioperative suites. Key stakeholders from perioperative services, including a perioperative nurse or a designated safety officer, can help obtain the resources needed to put a program in place to prevent work-related injuries and lost productivity resulting from environment of care issues. For example, OR fires, slips, trips, and falls, exposure to chemicals. The updated AORN, Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care, previously the Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care Part 1, was published in October of 2018. Topics addressed in the Environment of Care Guideline include clinical and alert alarms, noise and distractions, occupational injuries, fire safety, electrical equipment, blanket and fluid warming cabinets, medical gas cylinders, waste anesthesia gases, latex allergy, hazardous chemicals, and hazardous waste. AORN guidelines apply to inpatient and ambulatory settings and are adaptable to all areas where operative and other invasive procedures may be performed. This article elaborates on key takeaways from the Environment of Care guideline, but is not inclusive of the whole guideline. Perioperative RN should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. Key takeaways from the AORN's Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care include the following. Perioperative personnel should take precautions to 1. Mitigate hazards that can lead to OR fires. 2. Prevent occupational injuries caused by slips, trips, and falls. And 3. Reduce the risks associated with the use of chemicals. See Figure 1. The following scenario discusses common challenges in implementing and maintaining a safe environment of care in the perioperative setting. Each key takeaway is discussed in detail after the scenario. Scenario A team of accreditation agency surveyors arrives one morning at a 100-bed community hospital with eight ORs. The surveyors ask that a perioperative staff nurse accompany them while they survey the perioperative areas. The surveyors first ask the nurse to show them where the medical gas shutoff valves are located 
and to describe the procedure to follow in case of a surgical fire. The nurse is unable to describe the evacuation route, struggles to locate the evacuation map, and has difficulty describing when and how to shut off the gas valves outside each OR. When a surveyor asks a surgeon about the last time she participated in fire safety education and fire drills, she says she has never participated in a fire drill at the facility. The surveyors note several other compliance issues in the OR suite. Power cords are tangled and unsecured, and in some cases do not lie flat on the floor. Equipment is stacked on other equipment and unsecured. Arthroscopic procedures are being performed without a method to suction irrigation fluid, and blankets are scattered on the floor to absorb the fluid. High-level disinfection is performed in the substerile rooms between ORs, and the lid to a high-level disinfectant container is lying on the counter. There is a smell of chemical fumes in the adjacent ORs and in the hallway outside the substerile rooms. Perioperative managers are unable to provide records of glutaraldehyde levels, and when asked about exposure and personal protective equipment, PPE, one of the perioperative nurses says that they wear examination gloves, but no eye protection or masks. The surveyors request that a written action plan be submitted within 45 days, detailing how these compliance issues will be corrected. There will be another site visit in 90 days to determine whether the hospital has met the requirements of the action plan and corrected the infractions. The hospital administrator establishes an interdisciplinary team to address the infractions. This team consists of the perioperative nurse manager, a perioperative nurse, a perioperative educator, facility management personnel, a biomedical engineering representative, the hospital safety officer, an anesthesia professional, the environmental services manager, an infection preventionist, and quality and safety personnel assigned to perioperative services. The first item on the agenda is to review the surveyor's findings and perform a risk assessment of the perioperative services safety environment. The hospital safety officer obtains a safety checklist that was developed by the accreditation agency and that includes the regulatory requirements for a safe environment of care. In addition, the team evaluates the current OR policies and procedures. Of note, there is no policy on airway management in the case of a fire. The interdisciplinary team members develop a written action plan that includes creating the new role of a perioperative services safety officer. The safety officer will become familiar with both federal and state regulatory requirements and also serve on the hospital safety committee. This safety officer will oversee policy and procedure development and work with a perioperative educator to help ensure perioperative personnel are competent in providing a safe environment of care. The interdisciplinary team members select the perioperative nurse on the team to take this position. The team members then submit the written plan to the regulatory agency that details how they will correct the fire, slip, trip, and fall, and chemical hazards. To correct the deficiencies, the interdisciplinary team members consult with a local fire marshal and then create a new policy and procedure that includes the requirement that a fire prevention assessment be conducted before each procedure. They then adapt the surgical checklist to include this component in the preoperative briefing. The perioperative safety officer, in collaboration with an anesthesia professional and an otolaryngology surgeon, writes a policy on prevention and management of an airway fire. The perioperative educator conducts simulation exercises for the entire surgical team on airway management in the event of a fire. 
The safety officer performs audits on surgical briefings and coaches the surgical team members on performing the fire prevention assessment for each surgical procedure. The perioperative safety officer collaborates with members of the hospital safety committee and the interdisciplinary team members to develop standardized protocols for communication, fire suppression, and evacuation procedures in the event of a fire. The policy specifies the number of fire drills to be conducted on each shift each year and that requires the entire surgical team, including anesthesia professionals and surgeons, will participate. Yearly education will be conducted on evacuation routes, the location of fire pools, and the location and proper use of fire extinguishers. Biomedical engineering and facility management personnel evaluate each OR for equipment safety. They gather and secure cords and cover the cords with a mat specifically designed for this purpose. They move equipment out of the path of travel and evaluate the need to stack equipment. Where no other option to stacking equipment is available, they secure the stacked equipment. To address wet floors, the OR Product Evaluation Committee members evaluate and purchase suction discs to suction irrigation fluid during arthroscopic procedures. The perioperative safety officer conducts an inventory of hazardous chemicals in the perioperative suite and ensures that a safety data sheet, SDS, is present for each chemical. After completing the hazardous chemical risk assessment, the safety officer removes chemicals that are no longer in use and works with members of the facilities and environmental services departments to dispose of them safely. High-level disinfection processes are relocated to a high-level disinfection room that is not connected to the OR. The safety officer arranges for an environmental hygienist on contract to obtain baseline glutaraldehyde levels. The levels are above the permissible level recommended by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH. Facility management personnel investigate the air exchanges for this room and find them to be fewer than 7 per hour. They install an exhaust hood above the counter where high-level disinfection occurs, and subsequent glutaraldehyde levels are in the acceptable range. That is, up to a 10-hour time-weighted average limit at the ceiling of 0.2 parts per million, 0.8 micrograms per cubic meter. The safety officer posts signage outside the high-level disinfection room that glutaraldehyde is in use and PPE is required. The PPE is placed just inside the door to the high-level disinfection room and includes masks, eye protection, and chemical-resistant gloves that extend beyond the wrist and are recommended for use by the high-level disinfectant manufacturer. The hospital's healthcare leaders, biomedical engineering, infection prevention, and facility management personnel, and the perioperative safety officer, begin conducting monthly environment of care rounds in the perioperative suite. Any findings of noncompliance with the environment of care policies and procedures are corrected immediately. The survey team returns in 90 days. They find all the infractions have been addressed and the facility receives accreditation. Key Takeaways Discussion The key takeaways from the AORN, Guideline for a Safe Environment of Care, do not cover the entire guideline. Rather, they help the reader focus on important or new information that should be implemented into perioperative practice. Fire safety. In this scenario, the surveyors identified many gaps in personnel readiness for a fire in the OR. 
important policies and procedures were missing on conducting a preoperative risk assessment, preventing airway fires, and procedures to follow when an airway fire occurs. In the event of a fire, personnel would have been ill-prepared, with potentially devastating consequences. There is an increased risk of fire in the OR because all three elements of the fire triangle, fuel, oxidizer, and ignition source, are present. An interdisciplinary team that includes perioperative RNs should develop a written fire prevention and management plan. Components of the fire prevention and management plan include 1. Fire prevention measures 2. Definition of team members' roles 3. Communication methods to be used during a fire 4. Plans for managing different fire scenarios 5. Alarm activation 6. How to extinguish a fire 7. Evacuation routes 8. Processes to follow in the event of a fire and 9. Content and frequency of fire education and drills In collaboration with a perioperative team, the RN circulator should complete a fire prevention assessment during the briefing process. The purpose of this assessment is to identify causative factors for fires and the interventions personnel should implement for prevention of surgical fires for the specific procedure. Personnel should prevent contact between fuels, for example, an alcohol-based skin antiseptic agent, and ignition sources, for example, an active electrosurgical electrode. Steps to take include evaluating the flammable or combustible rating of the skin antiseptic by reviewing the SDS, preventing pooling or soaking of flammable skin antiseptic agents, and allowing them to dry completely before sterile draping. Because the OR is not the only department that may use alcohol-based skin prep solutions, facility leaders may find it beneficial to have a facility-wide policy that is standardized for all procedural areas, This can be an effective way to educate personnel from different departments and disciplines. The steps for preventing airway fires should be part of the fire prevention assessment in the standardized briefing. To reduce the risk of airway fires during procedures involving the airway, the anesthesia professional should place throat packs in the back of the patient's throat and should inflate endotracheal tube cuffs with tinted solutions, so a ruptured cuff can be immediately identified. If an airway fire occurs, personnel should remove the endotracheal tube immediately, stop the flow of airway gases, remove any sponges or flammable material, and pour saline into the patient's airway. These steps should be taken either by the anesthesia professional or at the direction of the anesthesia professional, and ventilation should be resumed after the fuel source has been removed. After the fire is extinguished, the anesthesia professional should assess the patient and report findings to the surgeon. When the anesthesia professional uses an open gas delivery system and the surgical procedure is above the ziphoid, the surgeon should alert the anesthesia professional before using an ignition source in the area of the face, head, or neck. The anesthesia professional should use the lowest concentration of oxygen required to avoid hypoxia and notify the surgeon when it is safe to activate the ignition source, which may require waiting several minutes. The anesthesia professional should evacuate accumulated anesthetic gas before an ignition source is used in or near an oxygen-enriched environment. The perioperative team should follow the healthcare organization's policies for communication, suppression, 
and evacuation procedures in the event of a fire. In collaboration with local authorities, evacuation routes should be established using the National Fire Protection Association, NFPA, Life Safety Code as a guide. The perioperative educator and the perioperative safety officer should develop education and competency verification activities that include the following. 1. Elements of the fire triangle. 2. Use of a fire prevention assessment. 3. Location and use of fire extinguishers. 4. Evacuation routes. 5. Location of medical gas panels and how to turn off the gases. 6. Location of alarm pool stations. 7. When to activate the fire plan. And 8. The roles and responsibilities of each member of the surgical team. Simulation with all members of the perioperative team is a key element in preparing for surgical fires. Communication is compromised in a fire situation, with alarms sounding and simultaneous evacuation of patients and personnel occurring. It may be necessary for a designated person or people, such as a charge nurse or the OR manager, to evaluate a situation and then physically go to each OR with information about the evacuation location. It would be far different to evacuate a patient whose procedure had not yet begun than a patient whose aorta is clamped. It may be necessary to evacuate to another procedure room in the facility, for example, an emergency department trauma room or an outpatient OR. Perioperative personnel should know where to find the fire plan, what to do during a fire, and what roles other team members will perform for fire response. They also should practice their roles in a simulated environment because this type of practice is an important element of fire safety in the OR. Slips, Trips, and Falls In 2011, NIOSH reported that slips, trips, and falls were the second most common cause of work-related injuries. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, in 2015, the incidence of lost workday injuries from slips, trips, and falls in healthcare and social assistance services was 30.6 for 10,000 employees. Perioperative personnel are at risk for occupational slips, trips, and falls caused by spills, splashed body fluids, slippery walking surfaces, and electrical cords. Endoscopic procedures are performed in darkened rooms, and irrigation fluid is often used, which results in wet floors that cannot always be identified in the dark. Monitors and booms are in close proximity to the surgical field, and require additional electrical outlets. Electrical strips provide the extra outlets, but cords often are in disarray and may not lie flat, creating a tripping hazard. There also is the risk for injuries when booms are in the path of travel, or equipment is stacked and unsecured, and has the potential to fall on personnel. Occupational injuries may impede an employee's ability to care for patients, and could create an expensive workers' compensation claim. In the OR, slips, trips, and falls also can affect patient safety because a surgical procedure can be disrupted as a result and could contribute to a surgical error. Surgeries can be delayed while other personnel care for and replace the injured employee. Perioperative personnel should perform an assessment of environmental hazards and review injury data to help identify factors that contribute to slips, trips, and falls. Strategies that minimize these risks include 1. Providing unobstructed pathways 2. 
promptly cleaning up spilled fluids. 3. Securing and covering electrical cords. 4. Providing adequate lighting. 5. Posting signs when the floor is wet. And 6. Wearing slip-resistant footwear. Chemical Hazards Improper handling of chemicals can result in exposure to any portion of the body and cause injuries to the integumentary, reproductive, and respiratory systems. Personnel should follow the most stringent of the federal, state, or local regulations for chemical handling and disposal. For each potentially hazardous chemical, an SDS must be readily accessible to employees, and a chemical hazard risk assessment should be conducted every year using the SDS and the manufacturer's instructions for use. Components of the assessment are 1. Identification and properties of the chemical 2. Composition of each chemical, disposal requirements, exposure control measures, first aid measures, and fire safety measures. 3. Requirements for handling and storage 4. Hazard identification 5. PPE required. 6. Reproductive toxicity, for example, risk of spontaneous abortion. 7. Alternative chemicals to use that are less hazardous. And 8. Whether a chemical is no longer in use and can be discarded. Hazardous chemicals must be handled and stored according to their SDS and manufacturer's instructions for use. Glutaraldehyde used in high-level disinfection can expose personnel through inhalation or skin contact and may result in throat and lung irritation, asthma symptoms, dermatitis, nasal irritation, sneezing, wheezing, burning eyes, and conjunctivitis. Safe handling practices for glutaraldehyde include 1. Using a closed automated system if possible. 2. Using a local exhaust ventilation system or ensuring the room being used has a minimum air exchange rate of 7 to 15 air changes per hour. 3. Using glutaraldehyde solution containers that are covered and sealed when not in use, are only open for insertion or removal of the device to be soaked, are sized for the item to be soaked, and have tight-fitting lids. 4. Using a pump to transfer the solution from the container to the drain. 5. Limiting the number of people working in areas where glutaraldehyde is present. And 6. Cleaning up glutaraldehyde spills immediately. Conclusion Perioperative personnel are entitled to and should be able to care for patients in a safe work environment. An injured perioperative nurse or one who is distracted by safety issues cannot effectively and safely care for patients. An interdisciplinary safety team should perform risk assessments to identify hazards in the OR and then put processes in place to mitigate these risks and prevent injuries to patients and perioperative personnel.